It's a passing league, and right now the Cardinals don't have a passing game. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. He was in Seattle and stayed dry. What did it look like from his vantage point on the sidelines? The defense played well enough to win. The offense did not. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 689, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a five. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. So, Paul, how was Seattle up until kickoff on Sunday? No rain, so no complaints. Can I, I honestly? I'll, I'll just leave it right there. Even, even the sign guy, I totally ignored. Although I did see one at the very end that said Taylor Swift would never date Zach Ertz. So that's okay. a solid one. I'm like, come on, a national tight end day too? Really? I mean, you know. So uh, I saw that one at the end. No mood to snicker or laugh uh, at that point of the day, though. But yeah, no rain. Uh, of course, no need for sunglasses either. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't want to be the guy who sells sunglasses for a living in Seattle. I'll just leave it there. It's funny you mentioned the weather because that was a bit of a talking point during the NFL kickoff show because in addition to yourself, we worry about our colleague Danny Sarek who does pregame hits from the sideline. and <laughs> Thin blood! <laughs> the, Excuse me. All week long, there was a heat wave earlier in Seattle, and then I wake up Sunday, okay, cloudy, and then all of a sudden I checked it when I got to the studio, and all of a sudden I see a 100% chance at 10 a.m., 95% chance at 11 a.m., and then clear the rest of the day. I was like, what the heck is going on? And it became a little bit of a topic during the pregame, but uh, no precipitation. Well, here's and I tried to tell Danny this, and of course, you know, she—I don't know what it is. Uh, she's just not buying into some of the wisdom of yours truly. I, she's trying to tell me at Cardinals Underground early in the week that, oh boy, here's the forecast. Don't believe any of those forecasts until you actually arrive into Seattle on Saturday evening. Then maybe you can start buying into what you see. But to your point. Even the game day, game day morning forecasts were dead wrong. So just believe your eyes and forget the meteorologists. Wonder why we're talking about the weather here to begin. Cardinals cover two presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, because we are trying to delay as much as possible the outcome on Sunday. But more than the outcome, the performance. Losing is one thing to the Seattle Seahawks. 20-10 to 10 is the final, but now held scoreless in the second half for a second straight game. 104-30 to 30 is what the Cardinals have been outscored in the second half this season. And that, despite not having Kyler Murray, no James Conner, to me, it was the offense and the inability to put points on the board or even get into the red zone is what stood out to me about what happened and what didn't happen on Sunday. So there was one possession, one Cardinals offensive drive that netted more than 26 yards. Think about that for a minute. Think about the difficulty in moving the ball. Think about the difficulty in having a balanced offense. Um, looking at it right now, net yards. Of course, they had the eight-play, 80-yard touchdown drive capped by the 25-yard touchdown run by Geno Smith, but by Geno Smith, by Josh Dobbs. And so other than that, look, from what I could tell, and I'm going to try and verify this with coaches, 
I think you had a Seattle defense that early in the game said, you know, we're going to blitz Josh Dobbs here and there, and then decided, you know what? No, we're not going to blitz the guy who might be the fastest guy on that offense when he gets at full gallop, with the exception of Hollywood Brown. So we're just going to go ahead and we're going to try and keep him in the pocket. We'd rather take our chances seeing if Josh Dobbs can diagnose and deliver the ball versus us actually bringing numbers and creating rushing and running lanes for a Josh Dobbs. And then you saw the result. He started 1-7, 8 of 18. You saw the, the completion percentage, the passer rating. These are all metrics and indicators of someone who, at the very least, is plateaued. Seven starts into 2023, and in a lot of categories, has regressed from his weeks two through four. So is that on what defensive coordinators have seen on film and they're adjusting accordingly? Is that a Seattle defense that three games in a row now has allowed less than 250 total yards? I mean, Seattle's defense is dialed in right now. You saw what they did the week before against Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. So you knew it was going to be a tough putt coming in. And, uh, and sure enough, look, when there were open receivers, you know, Josh Dobbs has not been making those easy completions, and that will cost you every time. It's easy to diagnose the problem, and you brought up the completion percentage. The last three games, less than 47%, less than 52%, wow. less than 58%. Mm-hmm. And over these three games total, 51.9% completion percentage. So something is amiss. Now, is it... Going back to what Drew Petzing mentioned, now there is film on Josh Dobbs. There is a four-game sample size. Now there's seven games. So do defenses know what to expect? Is this just what Dobbs is? Has he hit his ceiling? And then you look, because for the first time this season, I thought the offensive line, left to right, did not have one of its better games in totality. And that had been a strength this season as far as protecting the quarterback. But it was across the board, even when... DJ Humphreys was in there. Kelvin Beecham, his first action all season, he got beat. Paris Johnson maybe had his worst game in his young career on the right side because, to your point, the Seahawks did not need to blitz Josh Dobbs. They were getting home with three or four on a consistent basis, and when you were able to do that, then all of a sudden you are dropping eight or seven into the secondary, which makes even tighter windows that much more difficult to throw. And we saw, as I mentioned, the incompletions, the lack of a passing game. And if you cannot pass in this league, you cannot score points. And the Cardinals, again, held to 10 points on Sunday. Yeah, how much of it was Seattle's defense? How much of it was the Cardinals' offensive line? Which, to your point, you certainly didn't get better when D.J. Humphreys got ejected. Paris Johnson Jr. had repeated issues with Boye Mafe, especially into the first half where you got sacked and taken out of field goal range, and the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, was none too pleased about that coming off the field. In fact, started the second half before it got underway, Jesse Lucetta, who did not dress, had a big, long conversation with Paris Johnson Jr. and couldn't hear it, but you could see just visually he's showing him a few moves, like what Boye Mafe ostensibly was doing to Paris Johnson Jr. was sort of this long-arm stab and then ripping through, and Lucetta's trying to explain to the rookie, here's what he's trying to do against you, here's where he's having success. And then, of course, Tristan Colon, I think it was the second play of the game. Cardinals had a completion in the first play of the game. Then the second play of the game, there was a D-tackle that ripped through the B-gap on the left side of the Cardinals O-line, got right in Dobbs' face, and he had to get rid of the balls and incompletion. So, look, you know, Elijah Wilkinson wasn't out there. You had Tristan Colon. 
So all told, you're right, you know, and Kelvin Beecham is first action of the season, and Seahawks took advantage of that at times. But again, when Josh Dobbs is missing open receivers, when some of these passes are consistently behind receivers on crossing routes and drags, when it seems to be some of the same issues game in and game out, at least in the last the last sample size here, you know, how much of that is only on the quarterback? I mean, Craig, I think if we want to hit Zoom way out in the game of football, what are the two most important things? Quarterback, getting to the quarterback. Cardinals quarterback play wasn't good enough in Seattle, and they didn't get to Geno Smith nearly enough either. I know we're going to talk defense, but those two things really is where I would start in bottom lining this game. I go back to what you had mentioned earlier this season because there was a nice upward trajectory with Josh Dobbs at the start of the season, and each week you'd come in here on a Monday and say, hey, he's increased his QB rating by 20. But now, all of a sudden, we're on a downward slide, and it has been a dramatic downward slide. Yeah, that's the issue. The question is, why is it happening? Is it Dobbs? Is it the offensive line? Is it the lack of a chemistry? Because that's something that Michael Wilson brought up postgame. They could never get into a rhythm offensively because something was always happening, whether it was a penalty, a bad snap, a tackle for loss. And as we mentioned, this team, where it is talent-wise, does not have a large margin of error. They almost have to play perfect football in order just to get into scoring range, and then we see what happens when they do get into scoring range. There was a, in a, let's say a bad snap. It was a bad hold. I mean, I've always wondered why laces out was such a big deal. I found out because if you need an example on what a football will do if you kick it and it connects with the laces and the ball is even moving a little bit when they're trying to hold it and get it to where it needs to be. Because Matt Prater, yeah, he misses every now and then. He does not miss like that. And TV cameras, Paul, I don't know if you saw him on the sideline, but TV cameras saw spotted Prater, and he was about as upset as I have ever seen him in a football game. I mean, honestly, it was the first PDE I've ever seen, public display of emotion that I've ever seen on a Matt Prater. And when I say the following, it is an ultimate compliment that between Prater and Aaron Brewer, who have like 30 years of experience as specialists, those two dudes are catatonic. It doesn't matter what happens during the game. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be cataclysmic. It could be euphoric. It doesn't matter. Those guys are the same cold-blooded killers. They don't react to anything. So... When Matt Prater reacted to that missed field goal, and I still haven't seen the replay. They obviously didn't see it, show it uh, on the big boards in Seattle, but I heard he spiked his helmet. Was yes. That, so, I mean, that 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 is that is a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of reactions from Matt Prater. Normally he's a 2 in terms of just keeping, you know, cool eye Luke all the way through everything. So, yeah, that was telling. There's no doubt about it. Now, you're kicking towards the open end of the stadium, and there's some wind issues, but the wind was not that bad, and Prater has kicked through a lot worse, especially in places like Cleveland and Chicago, and he's been very successful over the years. So, yes, that's a symptom of some of the little things. To your point, you're not talented enough to get away with not being perfect on the details, and that's one of those details that comes up. The little things are big things in the NFL, and that was a big thing because ultimately at the end it was a two-score game instead of a one-score game. 
One more notes on the offense. How surprised were you? And maybe you weren't at all just based off your knowledge as Bowers being with the team over the weekend. But And there was a little bit of a hint during the week about the running back. And as much as we were very impressed by Keonta Ingram and his performance a week ago in L.A. In fact, he was the reason why you had a chance to speak to him on the Big Red Rage on Thursday. And then all of a sudden, he does not get a single, forget a carry, doesn't even get a single offensive snap in the game, and you ride Amari DiMercato, who played well. I mean, they're still running the football. That's about the one thing offensively, as I digress here a little bit. This Cardinals team, regardless of who they're facing defensively, they can run the football. That's been yep. no issue whatsoever. Okay, so let's take it in order. Keontae Ingram, did I expect him to get the bagel, to get the donut? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't expect him to be the featured back either, but I was wrong on who I did expect to be the featured back. I really thought Damian Williams was going to get the bulk of the carries. I talked about that at the end of the week going in, just based on everything that Jonathan Gannon had said, A, hinting that the rotation was going to be different, dot, 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 and then B, how impressed he was with Damian Williams, both making the first man miss or blowing through arm tackles, just the look in his eye. Josh Dobbs, very complimentary. So I got the sense it was going to be Damian Williams. Then Pash and Wolf walked in for their hit before the game, about 90 minutes before game time, and Pash told me, no, you're wrong. I think it's going to be Amari DiMercato, and Dave was right. So boom, there you go. Now, as for Amari DiMercato, look, no one is James Conner. We get it. And I'd love to have an answer. I don't even know if there's a way to analyze this. Our team's respecting the play action nearly as much as they used to with and without James Conner, because that was such a big part of the Cardinals offense. They were top three in play action usage in the NFL. At times, they were number one with James Conner. Even if they are going play action right now, is the front seven really respecting it to the same degree? Although I will say for Amari DiMercato, an undrafted rookie free agent, he's patient. He really is patient. Like He'll sometimes almost stop his feet waiting for the blocks to develop, and then he'll stoke it, and then he'll go north-south. So he had a couple of really impressive shorter runs. He's not a guy who's going to string it out and, and get tackled for a loss. or No, I mean, he's going to take his three to six yards on a, on a regular basis. And so you're right. If we're assessing what needs to be fixed, the Cardinals running game is not one of those items. It's plug and play as far as, at least right now, whichever running back you deem to be the guy for that particular week, that seems like what this coaching staff is going to do. I'm not a big fan of by committee, yet yeah, can work, but how many times, Paul, have we talked with running backs, James Conner, for instance, that they get better as the game progresses, they get a feel for the game. It's much like a pass rusher. You set up something for later on in the game, but if you can't get the consistent carries as a running back, then all of a sudden what you saw maybe in the first quarter to take advantage in the third quarter that's now someone else because you're watching someone do what you should be doing. In fact, on the Big Red Rage, I asked Keontae Ingram, how many carries does it take you to get into that, quote, rhythm? And he said 8 to 10, ideally 10. 10 carries, and then you're like, all right, I've absorbed enough blows. Uh, I, I have that sense of this is full contact. I'm keeping my balance. I'm also able to set up my blocks, and I'm getting a sense of the flow and speed of the front seven. And then hopefully maybe you're, you're wearing down the defense in the second half. So to your point, I think the Cardinals came to the conclusion, yeah, you know what, it's better to just go with one back, try and get that guy into a rhythm, and, and instead of splitting up between three different running backs. So, And look, they still have at least two more games 
yep. to go without James Conner. So uh, they're going to have to figure it out, especially against a very stout Baltimore defense coming in. Yeah, you've got Baltimore, you got Cleveland. Those are the next two games Whoa. on the schedule and wow. very tough defenses. Speaking of defenses, let's touch on what the Cardinals defense did to Geno Smith and company and specifically what they were able to do, which no team had been able to do against the Seahawks, and that is take away the football. Now, one of the turnovers did happen on special teams. By the way, props to Joey Blunt. It's the second straight week. Yep. He has forced a fumble on a punt return. Dennis Gardeck recovering this one on Sunday. But I know Blunt was in the crosshairs, if you will, a little bit because the first time in Los Angeles on a punt, he was behind the returner a good five, six yards, and maybe he thought that a fair catch signal was called for or thought the ball was going to be downed inside the 10-yard line, but it was not well played. But since then, he's had two big plays on special teams. He, his personality is a lot like a Dennis Gardeck, that on game day, he's hair on fire. I mean, he, he is just tons of energy, and he is leaving it all between the white lines. So he really is suited mentally. You know, modern-day Ron Wolfley, right, just going crazy out there on special teams. So a Gardeck and Joey Blunt, it's no surprise to me that those guys are around the ball a lot because based on energy, they bring it like nobody else on teams. And that was the first takeaway of the game. In fact, the first fumble, forget lost fumble, just the first fumble period that the Seahawks had coughed up this season – so that was the first takeaway, and that was also the only takeaway that resulted in points. You get the ball at the Seahawks' 30-yard line, yet you settle for a field goal. And again, big fan of Matt Prater. I don't like seeing him kick field goals of less than 40 yards. He's got a great leg, but if you get that close, especially if you start a drive inside an opponent's 35-yard line, Paul, you have to come away with seven. You can't settle for three, and the Cardinals were lucky to get three because – the other two takeaways resulted in no points. Yeah. In fact, this Seattle defense has allowed the lowest points per game in the last three games. They, 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 and once again, they were in your face. You know, they keep it fairly simple, talking to a lot of guys before the game. They keep, it's almost back to the Legion of Boom days. They're like, we have dudes who can run, we have guys who can hit. No need to get too complicated, no need to get too exotic. Let's just make we're, make sure we're very sound. We're not making any big mistakes in coverage. And we're just going to fly around. And, and we're going to try and be more physical and quicker to the ball than you. You saw Devin Witherspoon with that hellacious hit on Rondale Moore. Hello. Uh, so you say you want to be an NFL player, huh? Uh, really? Because, uh, yeah, that, that was like getting hit by a small Ford pickup in the middle of the field. That was hellacious. And uh, even after the game, I think, Rondell might have been feeling the effects of that. And so uh, all that combined, you have a Cardinals team that, you know, they were. it was very difficult to move the ball. And, you know, the noise wasn't a factor. I, we didn't see much of that. Uh, we didn't necessarily see the Cardinals killing themselves with penalties or, or brutal mistakes. It was just the ability, inability to connect in the passing game that really hampered this offense. Jobs, Dobbs postgame about the number of takeaways not resulting in points. Quote, that's probably the most frustrating thing about today. End quotes. And I went and did a little research this morning. Then a question was asked by our colleague Darren Urban. He did some more research. So here's a couple of things for you. I know there's no math, Paul, but we are going to throw out some numbers here on here Cardinals go. Cover 2 on yep. this Monday. It's already a Monday. It can always get worse. Here we go. Well, Mike, after what you hear, what okay. I'm about to say. All right. All right. There are 12 teams, including the Cardinals, 
who have a plus three or better turnover margin on the season. Mm. 12 teams. Okay. Three of the 12 teams have sub-500 records. Mm. Chargers okay. are plus five. They are two and four. The Saints, plus three, three and four. Cardinals, the only team with fewer than two wins with a plus three turnover margin. Wow. Let that hang in the air. And that was the reaction from Jonathan Gannon after the game in our post-game Raider interview when he said, you're plus three, you need to win that game. And all the analytics say that the odds are you will win that game. But once again, when you can't play the complimentary football, when you can't cash in those turnovers and turn them into points, not even field goals, when you just when you can't even you know, put it on the scoreboard after forcing that, it becomes impossible to get a victory playing that sort of ball. It becomes very deflating, demoralizing for your defense, even though they never gave up. They, they did keep up the fight the entirety of the game. But it's got to be frustrating at that point. I know there's a lot of people thinking, all right, so Kyler's coming back. When, if it's Week 10 and it's Atlanta, is it a fail to not get a sense of what you have in Clayton Toon? If Kyler's closing out the entire season, if he's taken this team, let's just say Week 10 against Atlanta, the rest of the way, do you enter the offseason without any sense of what Clayton Toon is all about in regular season action? Is that a fail? Because who is your backup? Could it be Toon? Could it be Dobbs? Do you, have you already found out enough about Josh Dobbs? So with that in mind, I, I am curious how – now, are you putting the rookie out there against Baltimore's <laughs> defense? To your point, are you putting the rookie out there against Cleveland's defense? Well, when is a good time? Look at Seattle's defense, the Niners' defense. Even the Rams' defense was pretty stout. What are you waiting for? Atlanta's playing good defense. Atlanta's issue really is Desmond Ritter, the quarterback. So pick a spot. You know, D'Amico Ryan's in, in Houston, you know, but once again, at this point, Kyler is back. So I, I think it's a big question. It'll probably get asked. It won't get answered. <laughs> oh, Clayton that's true. thing. But in terms of a quarterback change that's coming, I, I think it is fair to wonder is it only Kyler? Or could you see Clayton Toon? It's a fair topic of conversation. It's a fair question to ask. It was a topic by one caller on Cardinal Talk, and it was late in the show. Surprised that it wasn't brought up earlier because, to your point, there was a part in that first half right before Dobbs' 25-yard touchdown run based off the inaccuracy because Dobbs was 2 of 9 in the first half throwing the football. That Excuse me, 2 of 9 at the end of the first quarter, throwing the football to the point where I was beginning to think, uh, do we see Clayton Toon just to give a different look, maybe a different spark to this offense? It's not a start. It's coming in after your starting quarterback is struggling. But to your point, when is a good time? But I do think now, based off we think, at least I'm expecting, that Kyler will be back within this next two, three weeks, that is it worth it? Do you risk losing a rookie quarterback against a Ravens defense, a Browns defense, do you do more harm than good in the long term? But, yeah, you do kind of want to get a sense of what you have because I think the fan base right now, Paul, is, all right, we've seen what Dobbs can do. What's behind door number two? Here's the thing, though. If you have to worry about the mental psyche, right, him being fragile, that fragile, fragile, if you have to worry about that, then he's probably not the guy. And it's not like he's a top-five pick. He's a fifth-round rookie quarterback. So if he's a top-five pick and you've just paid him $200 million and you're ultra-concerned about his 
the state of his mentals going forward and you're not willing to risk, but this is a day three pick. Throw him out there. He's used, he's already beat the odds just making the 53. And he's a five-year college guy who had 50-plus starts at Houston. He's more mature than most rookie quarterbacks. So I'm not necessarily as concerned about losing him, quote-unquote, if you throw him out there and he, he gets embarrassed or he gets dominated. Uh, I'll say this much, though. What's worse, throwing the rookie quarterback out there or having Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who had four catches on 11 targets the week before, this week against Seattle, he had three catches on seven targets. But, you know, he was consistently beating Tariq Woolen. He really was. Tariq Woolen, 6'4", Ryan, the four two six was a, a pro bowler last year as a rookie. Marquise Hollywood-Brown beat him a number of times. Didn't have enough catches to show for it. Trey McBride had three catches on six targets. You saw how athletic Trey McBride was. And then once again, Michael Wilson, five targets, only three catches, you know, if the ball's in his vicinity, he's making the grab. So you have to ask yourself, if you're the Cardinals, how are we going to maximize our weapons? Because right now it's not happening. We have enough talent at receiver and tight end to move the football. But it's not happening. Why? Why not? What can you do? Can you institute a, a short passing game to start the game? Where, once again, as you said, he started 2 for 9, 8 for 18 in the first half, but it looked to me like they did try a number of short passes, and even those didn't connect for whatever reason. We did see, albeit brief, Clayton Toon in this game, his first NFL action, his first NFL pass attempt, a completion on that fake punt. Again, fourth and nine near midfield. I don't mind the decision to go for it, even though you still had all three of your timeouts, five minutes to go. At that point, it's a one-score game. You're down one score. Well, play call or the play execution. And it was interesting to hear or read on azcardinals.com because Darren Urban had a chance to talk with Michael Wilson on that because it was Wilson who was the recipient of the four-yard completion. He came up five yards short. Michael Wilson, according to Darren's story, wouldn't get into details but did say he wasn't the first read on the play. Does that, going back to your point, give you pause? Now, again, it's a fake punt. But it is reading what the defense is showing you. Did the Cardinals get a glimpse of what Clayton Toon can do, albeit one snap of a ball game? You know, to me, in my recollection, and I saw one replay of it, it didn't look like he got a fake punt look in terms of the defense. Because there was no punter on the field, Seattle really wasn't surprised. There wasn't that element of shock and discombobulation and chaos on the defense, which is what you're hoping for. But because a punter wasn't on the field, Seattle knew immediately, okay, there is no punt. Here we go. This is more of a conventional fourth down attempt. And because of that, they played a pretty typical defense and, and there wasn't any blown coverage or guy running free. And so based on on the way Seattle reacted, it didn't shock me. The Cardinals did not get the first down. I know when they busted into it, you know, and, and all of a sudden, okay, what's going on here? And and uh, and Clayton Toon uh, is throwing that pass. It made me think of Jeff Rogers a couple of weeks ago where he said, you know, I've got hundreds of fake punts under the hood, right? And there was one, but obviously you didn't have that element of surprise. And it, uh, you know, ends up short of the sticks. I asked Jonathan Gannon about it after the game, and he put it on himself. Um, which I think is code for I'm not getting into it. And we've heard that a lot from the head coach, talking about coaching. But I go back that our well, former colleague here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network played here, Bertram Barry, would always say, coaches coach Monday to Saturday. On Sunday, 
It's about the players. But to our earlier conversation, Paul, yeah, the players can't fault the effort. It's the talent which leads to sometimes a lack of execution, a consistent execution yeah. throughout the game. But I do think it's fair to wonder that when you've been outscored 67-7 to in the fourth quarter, and what's the number in the second half? 104-30. to You're not winning the battle of halftime adjustments. That's a certainty. Now, is that because you don't have enough talent? Is that because the other team has a superior roster and they've made the necessary adjustments? You, how do we know if the Cardinals aren't making adjustments but they're just not working because you just don't have the dudes? We don't know the answer to that. We do know is that they're not excelling in the second half. That it's been an advantage opponent in the second half for whatever reason. Uh, and honestly, and I've had a few coaches tell me this, you know, in high school, you make adjustments week to week. In college, you make adjustments at halftime. In the NFL, you're making adjustments series to series, if not play to play, if needed. So the whole halftime adjustment thing might be a little overblown in the NFL game. But for whatever reason, the Cardinals are not winning in the second half. They're certainly not winning in the fourth quarter. And because of that, they've only won a single game out of seven. There was some positivity on Sunday. Don't want to make this all negative here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Buda Baker returned. Not only did he return, but he played every single snap defensively, which is what Buda Baker does. And then, of course, Paul, I got to save the best for last, but how about number 21? How about Garrett Williams? How about the rookie from, yes, Syracuse University, his first career game and his first interception? Yes, it was at the one-yard line, but that flipped the field. That was one of the three takeaways by the Cardinals' defense slash special teams, and I know you had a chance to speak to the gentleman on post-game. But yeah, Garrett Williams, tip of the cap to the former Syracuse Orange standout. I like the fact he played the ball. I like the fact that he just didn't run towards the receiver with his back to the quarterback and risk getting a flag. He turned, he played the ball, and because there was a man in, in Geno Smith's face, the pass was short. He didn't drop it. How many DBs would drop that or linebackers? Uh, you saw it earlier in the game, Kaiser White. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness, he was gone if not for that for that drop, and he was kicking himself on the sideline. It was a great job to break up the pass and make the read. But those are the sorts of plays that the difference in the NFL between a win and a loss. And for Garrett Wilson to have the wherewithal, I mean, think about that. He steps in. He hasn't played football in a year. He hasn't had any full contact. You know, as he told us after the game, he said, yeah, the speed of the game is real. The physicality is real. Every single player on that field is capable of making you look stupid. So, And the fact they were playing him in nickel was interesting, right? Because it'd be easy to say just go outside on an island and and stay away from the fray, but no, he was playing nickel, and so his face was in the fan quite a bit, and he did not hesitate to come up and and lay some lumber. Pro Football Focus had Williams in the slot on 22 of his 26 defensive snaps. To your point, that's kind of where he is needed right now. Keetrell Clark, bothered by a hamstring. Not only did he not start, he did not see uh, see a single snap on defense. And this Cardinals defense right now, it's it's hurting. But if you're able to get takeaways, and again, this goes back to no math, Paul, but as we talk about what Jonathan Gannon had to say about you're a plus three in a ball game, how about this? Profootballreference.com, and this is where Darren's research came in. Since the merger in 1970, there have been 2,925 games where one team had a turnover margin of plus three or better. 
It's almost 3,000 games. Okay. Those teams, when you have a plus three turnover margin or better, you win better than 91% of the time. Wow. Unless you're the Arizona Cardinals, who lost 20 to 10. Okay. So, is that the sort of stat? Is that the sort of sobering data that leads to a quarterback change? You're not moving the ball. You had one drive beyond 26 net yards. The completion percentage, the passer rating has been in decline ever since week four. What do you do? Do you look adapt is the key word by Jonathan Gannon. So do you adapt the offense? Do you adapt the play calling? Do you adapt the personnel? What do you do? Have you seen enough of Josh Dobbs that you're figuring, okay, even when we're plus three, even in a situation where those teams win 91% of the games, we didn't get a W. We ended up losing by double digits. What do we do? So I, I think we're all curious to see what the decision is going forward. Is there a decision in their mind? Now you have Josh Dobbs, who's familiar with Baltimore from all his days in Cleveland, all his days in Pittsburgh. So is he better suited in year seven to be game ready against a Baltimore defense? Yeah. There's a lie. There's, there's, I mean, there's an obvious argument to be made that you know he's more equipped in that regard. But if you're not able to sit in the pocket and and just complete typical passes, and if now teams are saying, you know what, we're not going to blitz you. We're just going to rush three and four, drop seven or eight, and we're going to dare you to actually find receivers and make completions. Uh, we saw how the Cardinals struggle with that at Seattle. Something to follow this week. Cardinals host the Ravens on Sunday. 125 is the kickoff from State Farm Stadium. By the way, that Ravens defense sacked Jared Goff five times on Sunday. So and, that's what you're facing defensively yeah. for this Cardinals offense. And, and look, one of the strengths of that Lions team is their offensive line. There, there's no doubt. That's where they started the rebuild. That's where the Cardinals started the rebuild by taking Paris Johnson Jr., number six overall. But for everything you know that we've talked about so far, let's not forget that Jackson Smith and Jigba was wide open on a 28-yard touchdown pass, that the tight end Colby Parkinson was wide open down the sideline on a 27-yard strike. So there were instances where the Cardinals got beat in the secondary. Was it better? Was the communication better? Were they more buttoned up with the return of Buda Baker? Absolutely. Starling Thomas, yeah, I thought he showed pretty well for an undrafted rookie. You know, Marco Wilson uh, got beat early, but then seemed to compete the rest of the way. Obviously, they didn't have DK Metcalf. But there are enough times, especially on third down, where the Cardinals were beat. That's something that Jonathan Gannon cited at halftime. So, you know don't want to make it sound like we're completely piling only on the offense. There were enough areas that are being pointed out as we speak on a Monday in front of the team, and that's something that Jonathan Gannon has told us repeatedly on his TV show every week that, yeah, he starts the week by putting up the good, bad, and ugly. Right? Here's where we excel. Here's what needs to be corrected. Here's what's inexcusable, and he includes players and coaches. You know, After they beat Dallas, the first thing he did on that Monday, he threw up a mistake that he thought he made. And then he showed a mistake from his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator. So it is sort of, a, you know, in the spirit of Coach Double Rainbow, 
And he has Tell the Truth Monday. With the Cardinals, it's Accountability Monday in a lot of ways. Let's hope you did not make a mistake, because I do have a nominee, and I hope you have the nominee, the correct nominee, that is actually the Angry Bird Award winner for Week 7. <laughs> oh, man. We'll see if you are, yeah. need to be held accountable for your decision on who this week's winner is as we wait here on Cardinals Cover 2. You know, we wanted to go a different direction. We really did, uh, honestly. Uh, but, I mean, how can you hold his alma mater against him despite alums like Craig Grillo and Dave Pash? Uh, we won't do that, okay? Uh, we, we That sort of uh, consideration is not poor, part of the process. So Garrett Williams will get the Angry Bird Award for Week 7 for the most hellacious play or player. Obviously, the interception stood out, but for him just to jump into the fray yeah. at Seattle and make your NFL debut against those receivers, even minus DK Metcalf, but you know that's an offense, that's an environment, and for him, things had to be, and he said, things were moving really fast in the first quarter, but his evolution from just the beginning to the end of the game, and, you know, and look, you could have gone with the same reasoning as a Clayton Tune, like, oh boy, I don't know, is this too much too soon? What are we going to? Are we risking losing him? No, you have to be mentally tough in the NFL, and he's obviously a very bright guy, uh, very oh, well course. spoken. Uh, and so, you know, it was uh, so for that. Uh, yes, we are presenting. He took the football home, but in addition to that, he's getting the Angry Bird Award, and I'm sure that Angry Bird will be set front of the touchdown or the interception football i mean well, let's here, be honest here well here's the thing once again we only have one so it's honorary <laughs> okay you're gonna have to live with a picture that gets tweeted out at paul calvisi uh because we don't have the budget to actually give all 17 players uh during a season their individual actual physical angry bird award a good first step for garrett williams hopefully there are many more and hopefully here in one week's time we're actually talking about a win here on cardinals cover two as the cardinals have lost four in a row they are one and six on the season again playing a very good baltimore ravens team coming up this sunday and on that note we'll put a lid on this edition of cardinals cover two presented by hyundai proud partner of the arizona cardinals as always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.